We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall never surrender until in God's good time, the new world with all its power and might steps forth to the rescue and the liberation of people. In times of universal deceit, truth is the only rebellion left. On today's show, more about the definition and redefinition of words. If I had a world of my own, everything would be nonsense. Nothing would be what it is because everything would be what it isn't. And contrary-wise, what is, it wouldn't be. The Mad Hatter, Alice in Wonderland. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion. Welcome to today's Rebellion. It's Monday morning, and I'm going to circle back to something we discussed last week. I do this often over the weekend. I sift through my mind. I regurgitate. I digest something that caught my attention last week, and I try to nail it down a little bit better than what I did before in my mind, in my writing, in my speaking, and in my teaching. So sometimes on Monday mornings, you may hear something that is a reflection of what we discussed last week, but it should be a little tighter, a little cleaner, a little clearer as I try to describe it and explain it, and I hope that's the case today. The topic I want to circle back to is the topic of redefining our words, acting as if we can be the definers of all, that we can take things that have objective meanings and spend them and manipulate them and make them mean something totally different than what they were intended to mean. We can take words like is, like Bill Clinton did, and say, well, it depends on what the definition of is is, and then give is a completely different definition than what it is intended to have. We can take words as clear as men and women, spin them, manipulate them, turn them upside down, and then all of the sudden, a man equals a woman and a woman equals a man. We're doing this consistently in our culture today. This is the nature of post-modernity. As I've said before, post-modernity elevates itself to the superman, the ubermensch, where we declare ourselves to be as God, unto ourselves individual little gods where we can define everything. We can deny reality and create an illusion in our own minds and in our own souls that we feel is better than the facts. This is a very dangerous place for us to live because nothing will matter any longer. As Nathaniel Hawthorne says, words so innocent and powerless as they are, as standing in a dictionary, how potent for good and evil they become in the hands of one who knows how to manipulate them. Nathaniel Hawthorne. I shared this quote with you last week, and I'm going to use it as the springboard again for today's show. And some of the com commentary that uh, I'll venture into in the moments ahead and the few minutes that are left in this show will be similar to last week's, but like I said, I hope it's nailed down tighter, cleaner, and more permanent. I hope I'm communicating a little bit more clearly. This is a lesson that I've learned 
in the way I write and communicate. I think that to just throw something out there one time isn't sufficient because you know as well as I know that practice makes perfect. And the more you try to communicate something, the more perfect it will become. The more you try to do something, the more of an expert you become. And this is true in our use of words and our precision in how we use them. Let's take an early break, acknowledge our sponsors, and when I get back, we'll talk about the definition of words and why it matters. If you'd like to subscribe to The Rebellion, you can do so by going to patreon.com backslash, excuse me, patreon.com backslash D-R-E-V-E-R-E-T-T-P-I-P-E-R. That's patreon.com backslash Dr. Everett Piper. Don't forget my book, Grow Up, Life Isn't Safe, But It's Good. Grow Up, Life Isn't Safe, But It's Good. You can get that at any bookstore that you enjoy. Uh, You can get it at Barnes & Noble. You can get it at Target. You can get it at Amazon.com or any of your local bookstores. That's Grow Up, Life isn't safe, but it's good. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion, and I will be right back in a couple minutes. Welcome back to The Rebellion. I'm going to start out with this quote from Nathaniel Hawthorne again. I'm going to read it one more time, maybe two more times, maybe three more times. I don't know. The point is here, I'm going to share with you Hawthorne's use of words. My intent is to drive home the point that definition matters. The definition of words needs to be clear. We can't communicate with one another if we don't assume that to be a fact. Words matter. You're listening to this show right now, and the assumption is you can understand what I'm saying, you can agree or disagree with what I'm saying because of the definition of words. You can say, well, he explained that well, or no, He didn't. He didn't do a very good job. Piper was confusing in the way he presented that given idea. Every one of the words that I just used in that sentence, in that sentence that I just used, has to have a definition. Otherwise, you would just hear gibberish. It would make no sense to you. You wouldn't have the ability to agree or disagree if my words didn't mean anything, if they're just inconsequential sounds, babblings that have no connection to reality. And if you can define each one of my babbling little sounds to your own liking, and if I could do likewise, then we would not be able to communicate with one another. It would make no sense. It would literally be nonsense. Does this make sense? Okay, That you have to have definition in order to communicate orally or in writing. That's just a given. So when Nathaniel Hawthorne says words so innocent and powerless as they are, as standing in a dictionary, how potent for good and evil they become in the hands of one who knows how to manipulate them. What he's saying is we could could argue that words are innocent, they're powerless. It's just one letter after another, black and white printed on paper, Black letters printed on white paper, I should say. You see, I, I, I paused right there, and I thought, well, I didn't explain that very well. It's not black and white printed on paper. It's actually black letters printed on white paper. Therefore, I backed up a bit, and I clarified my use of words because my first attempt in constructing that sentence wasn't tight enough. It wasn't clean enough. It wasn't accurate in my view, so I tried to make it more so. That's how we communicate. 
When somebody says, I don't understand you, Piper, I say, okay, let me try again. I'll try to do a better job at communicating with my words because they're not innocent and powerless. They're not just black letters on white paper in a dictionary. They're very potent and they can be used for good and evil in all of our hands as we manipulate those words and put those words together. That's the point of Nathaniel Hawthorne. Now, I shared with you last week that on Wednesday, last week, Merriam-Webster, the company, the dictionary company, announced that it was changing the definition of anti-vaxxer, the hyphenated word anti-vaxxer, to now include not only people who oppose vaccinations, but also those who oppose laws that mandate vaccinations. And I said, this matters. This matters because you could be somebody who believes in getting a vaccination, being vaccinated for polio or the annual flu or for smallpox. You could be somebody who believes in getting vaccinated. Maybe you've chosen to be vaccinated for those things throughout the course of your life, and maybe you've chosen to have your children vaccinated for their own protection from those diseases. Polio is the perfect example in my view. But you wouldn't necessarily think that it's appropriate for the government to require everybody to get a vaccination as a means or as a pretext, as the premise for being able to go about daily life. Go to the grocery store, for example, and buy food. That if you haven't received a vaccination, we're going to shut you down. You cannot function in society. You can't even go to Walmart to get your groceries. So you could have been a person who thought there was value in vaccinations, but you could have been one that thought the government should stay out of it, give individuals the right to make the decision, encourage them to get their children vaccinated, encourage them to get vaccinations, but they shouldn't be punished and excluded from polite society if they don't. You could have believed that, and you wouldn't have been described as an anti-vaxxer. But today, you would be an anti-vaxxer if you held that position because maybe you've even got the COVID-19 vaccination, but you still hold that the government shouldn't be able to force others to get it. Well, that makes you an anti-vaxxer. And as Matt Walsh said last week, I now start my new life as an anti-vaxxer because he believes the government should stay out of it. That doesn't necessarily mean that he thinks the vaccination is a bad thing. We don't know. And frankly, it's nobody's business. I've said this before. It's not anybody's business whether or not you've been vaccinated or not. Frankly, it's nobody's business whether you've had COVID-19 or not. Why in the world did we all, all of a sudden decide that we've got to go around and tell everybody? We've got to disclose our personal health history. In every conversation, in every visit to someone's home, in every trip to the grocery store, we have to disclose our health history. What happened to HEPA standards? I thought this was illegal. I mean, again, we're following like a bunch of obedient sheep simply because we're afraid of getting sick. So Merriam-Webster changed the, changes the definition of anti-vaxxer in a very subtle but very important way. And we have to acknowledge that this change in definition matters. And that's not the first time Webster has done something like this, politicized the use of words, the definition of words, to impersonate Orwell's Ministry of Truth. 
last October, they edited their definition of preference. I talked about that about that last week. They edited their definition of the word preference, noting that the word is offensive when it's used in reference to a person's sexuality. So you can't say sexual preference anymore because that's offensive. That was politicized because it followed immediately on the heels of the criticism of Supreme Court Justice Amy Coney Barrett as she was being confirmed to the Supreme Court because she had earlier used the phrase sexual preference in talking about LGBTQ and all things rainbow. And that was an evil. That was an evil in the in the minds of Hirono and others who felt that, well, she's a homophobe because she said sexual preference. So Merriam-Webster changed the definition, politicizing the use of words. This is a dangerous place to be. You don't change words because of political power. You hold on to their objective meanings. Otherwise, they're going to be manipulated to control you. And then last June of 2020, Merriam-Webster and all of the dictionary divines that work there expanded the definition of racism to include systematic oppression. So racism is no longer an attitude in your mind and the behavior of an individual to judge somebody else by the color of their skin in a racist way. No, that's not what racism is any longer. It's now been politicized. It's now systematic. It's now systemic. Well, what does that mean? What does that even mean? Systemic racism. It's not an individual decision or an individual thought or an individual behavior. It's something in this nefarious, this ethereal land of the systemic reality of our existence. It means you can be blamed for the sins of the system even though you may not be guilty of those sins at all. That's what it means. Well, in my book, Grow Up, Life Isn't Safe, But It's Good, I offered this. If we are to communicate sanely and intelligently with one another, words must mean something. A pony can't be a fish, and a fish can't be a chicken. The meaning of words must be objective and predictable and enduring. I talked about this last week. I went to this quote last week, but I want to use it again. I want you to hear what I'm saying about the definition of words. One more time. If we are to communicate sanely and intelligently with one another, words must mean something. A pony can't be a fish, and a fish can't be a chicken. The meaning of words must be objective, predictable, and enduring. If they're not, you couldn't listen to this sentence. You couldn't read it in my book. You wouldn't be able to have any hope of understanding what I'm saying right now. The very nature of speaking and reading and writing assumes definitional clarity. Otherwise, our normal daily communication would become as impossible as trying to play football without a field or a ball. You've got to have boundaries. You've got to have rules. You've got to have the object of the game or you can't play the game. And when it comes to a dictionary, facts matter not your feelings. You might feel like red is a number, but it's not. You might feel like two plus two equals green, but it doesn't. You might feel like dogs are quarter horses and your Labrador retriever lays eggs, but she won't. In all of these examples that I'm spouting off right now, your feelings don't matter. None of your feelings change the fact of what truly is. Definition matters. Your delusions don't. Football is football. It's not baseball. It's not soccer. You can't play football on a a diamond-shaped field with bases and an umpire and a bat and a small little 
ball. That's not football. That's baseball. The definition of the two sports matters, and the two sports have different rules. If you don't acknowledge that, and if you start playing on the basis of your feelings rather than those facts, you've got chaos. You're not an athlete. You're not an athlete if you ignore the rules of the game. You can't communicate as a human if you ignore definition, if you ignore the objective understanding of words. This is the absurdity of where we find ourselves right now. You've got a professor, as I've said multiple times, at Brooklyn College who's now saying that 2 plus 2 equals 4 is nothing but the product of white privilege and trope. That anecdote, that absurdity of what that professor said, shines a spotlight on the tenuous nature of where we find ourselves as a people right now. If we can't even agree that the simple basics of mathematics are objectively real, then you won't be able to design an airplane, you won't be able to design a bridge, you won't be able to do anything. You won't be able to declare that slavery is an objectively bad thing, that rape is absolutely always wrong and evil, because you've discarded the objectivity of the way we communicate and understand our reality. Two plus two equals four. Well, that's not an objective fact. That's just a matter of opinion that's been imposed upon us by white supremacists over the ages. Doesn't that strike you as just incredibly absurd? It must. It has to strike you as crazy because it is. So the bottom line is this. Words have to mean something. We are human beings, and as human beings... We are very unique in our use of language as our primary method of communication. Nobody else does this. Cows don't sit around and talk. I don't know of any horses that are producing radio shows or podcasts right now. They don't do this. We're unique. We're the Imago Dei. We're human beings, and we have the ability to do this. We debate and we argue. We make speeches. We deliver sermons. We teach lessons. We pontificate. We preach and we proclaim. We talk about our liberal and conservative ideas, and liberal and conservative needs to mean something if we're going to communicate what we think is liberal and what we think is conservative. We have to define those concepts, and there has to be a stability to those definitions. With our bigger ideas, we express them with emotion and passion and anger and indignation, We have confidence in them. We have confidence in the words that describe them. And we resist any attempt by anybody else to co-opt or twist or manipulate the meanings, the meaning of these big ideas. And even those that disagree with what I'm saying right now prove that I'm right because they get very indignant and angry and passionate and emotional about what I'm saying because they think their big ideas are better than my big ideas. Do you get my point? You have to have somebody deciding the objective value and meaning of the use of words. It can't just be your feelings and your emotions. We defend our words with tenacity. If they deceive, we call them lies. If they embolden, we call them inspiring. If they make promises, we call them contracts. Words have to mean something. And history shows that they have the power to build nations, Okay, Our nation is built upon words. The Federalist Papers, the Declaration of Independence, 
our Constitution, and as I've said, said numerous times, the very words of Moses, because the book of Deuteronomy was quoted more often than Montesquieu, Hobbes, Locke, or Hume, or any of the other greats, Cicero, any of the greats, the classics. Moses is quoted more than any of them combined in the seminal documents of our nation. So words have the power to build nations, define religions, inspire revolutions. They defend what is true, and they hide what is false. But today, in our woke disregard for the objective meaning of words, we're losing the ability to even communicate, to even understand. We're losing our liberty. We've got less of it rather than more. Progressives spin reality and they turn it on its head. This fluid rainbow lexicon of the progressives. It spins love to be synonymous with sex and sex to be synonymous with love. That's absurd. As I've said a dozen times on this show, I hope you love a lot of people that you choose not to have sex with. Love can't be synonymous with sex, but today we think it That's what it means, because we've allowed other people to manipulate and dumb down the definition of a very important word, and that's love. Hate is now synonymous with love, and love is now synonymous with hate in the way they behave. Men are women, and women are men, and we live in a fantasy world where red is now a number, and two plus two equals green. And if you disagree, you're going to be silenced. You're going to be canceled. You're going to be shut down. This woke disregard for the objective meaning of words, it's nothing but radical subjectivity. It's a cancel culture of political correctness, and it's blinded us. It's blinded us from seeing the reality of what truly is. It seems as if we live in a matrix today, ruled and dominated by whatever leftist brats happen to demand of us on any given day. Again, the rule of the gang, the power of those that have the political podium at the time. The power of those who are going to tell us how to live our lives. Down to the point where they're going to tell us how to use our words. You have to use these pronouns. If you don't use these pronouns, we could arrest you. No, that's not an exaggeration. They're actually doing it in Canada right now. They're arresting people for not agreeing to use pronouns that are inaccurate. They're arresting people if they won't acknowledge the delusions of somebody else who says they're something they're not. Again, leftist brats demanding that all of the rest of us play their game. Now, here's my point. When we compromise the definition of words, when we compromise the clear meaning of words, When we do this, we compromise our ability to even debate or disagree. When we do this, we shift from being critical thinkers to parrots, squawking, doing nothing but just spouting off what's popular and in vogue. We're not critical thinking human beings any longer. We're acting like animals. We're just parroting what's popular, what's in vogue. I've talked about C.S. Lewis before. 
when he said this, when he scolded the young agnostic scholar in The Great Divorce. Great book, by the way, one of my favorites. One of my favorites of C.S. Lewis. Everybody should read The Great Divorce. But anyway, back to the point, back to the quote. He scolded the agnostic young scholar, the guy who was like himself in earlier days. In the book Great Divorce, he said this, we simply found ourselves in contact with a certain current of ideas and we plunged into it because it seemed modern and successful, popular and in vogue. And we just started automatically saying the kind of things that won applause. So we weren't being critical thinkers. We were nothing but parroting animals. That's C.S. Lewis's point. In Christ's parable of building on sand, excuse me, of building on sand or rock, he tells us this. He tells us that foundations matter. Foundations matter, sand or rock. Definitions make a difference, sand or rock. A stable foundation holds true. Shifting sands crumble. Rock stays true. It doesn't move. So Jesus is being very clear. And I would suggest it, it's apropos to this topic today. And here it is. Our lives must be built on the solid rock of enduring definitions. Or as Chesterton once put it, the point of opening one's mind is akin to that of opening one's mouth. And the point is to close it on something solid. One more time. The point of opening one's mind is akin to that of opening one's mouth. It is to close it on something solid. That's G.K. Chesterton. A culture of sifting sand and moving targets and fairy tale definitions will collapse. It will fail. It will fall. You can't have a stable culture of freedom and justice and dignity and human rights and civil discourse if words are nothing but fairy tale definitions. That culture will collapse. That's why this topic is so important for us today. Words have to have definition. Meanings aren't changed just because you and I, or even Webster's Dictionary, feels like it. Webster should be the guardian of the definition of words, not the manipulator, manipulator of them. They should stand firm on principle, not bow to politics. Meanings aren't changed just because you and I or even Webster feel like it. Here's the quote I started the show with, and I'll end it likewise. If I had a world of my own, everything would be nonsense. Nothing would be what it is because everything would be what it isn't. And contrary-wise, what is, it wouldn't be. That's a quote from Alice in Wonderland and the Mad Hatter. Do you feel like that's where we are today? This is why Jesus tells us that he is the way, the truth, and the life. This is why Jesus has defined as the Logos, the Word. You have to have a stable, enduring rock that never changes if you're going to have freedom. In times of universal deceit, truth is the only rebellion left. Truth. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion.